Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are reviewing Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark, Being Human in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. Artificial Intelligence is something that's certainly, uh, it's here, mate, and it's only coming stronger. Mm. So it's uh, something that this book goes into, you know, what is it? Should we be afraid or is it going to be a good thing? And sort of weighs up all the different things that people think about AI. Mm. It's an important thing, whatever industry you're in, If you look at the horizon of decades and decades, this might have one of the biggest impacts on your job and your career in life. So, I think there's a huge utility in understanding uh, what is coming around the corner with artificial intelligence. He he says he's not not sure if AI is going to go and run the world, but he says one thing for sure is we can't say for certain that it's not going to do that. So, this is what he does in the book. He explores this question of uh, what are the possibilities with AI. Yeah, at the very start of the book, he says, here's why I wrote the book. You know, there's a whole bunch of questions that he wanted to ask and conversations that he wanted to kick off. Things like, uh, what would it uh, be like if your job was automated? What sort of future do you want? What career advice should we give our kids? Uh, will, Will we control intelligent machines or will they control us? And basically, will robots replace us? Will they merge with us? Will we coexist? What's, so, these are all the types of questions he talks about and conversations that we should be thinking and talking about more. Some of the real mainstream beliefs about AI are completely myth, he says. Like, you know, something like superintelligence by 2100 is inevitable. And that's bullshit. The fact is, it may happen in decades, it may happen in centuries, or it might never happen at all. So, this might just be purely speculation that doesn't uh, be fulfilled. Yeah, another myth is uh, that AI is going to be evil and it's going to take over the world and get rid of all the humans. Uh, it's probably something to consider, but he says that we've got to shift from that scare tactic and rather think about, okay, what sort of goals should we implant within AI to make sure that that doesn't happen? One myth is robots are the concern, but the fact is the misaligned intelligence is the main concern. So, it needs nobody, only an internet connection, right? So, someone's algorithm could just be sitting as a file on your computer and it actually has no physical form whatsoever. Yeah, another myth is that AI could never control humans. You know, we act out of free will. But he says a, a fact is really looking at it like we sort of can we can control our pets because we're smarter than them. So, he says that perhaps if AI becomes smarter than us, it might be able to control us in some way. There's some of the myths and some of the actual facts that he, uh, he does to, to really uh, start the book. He says this is actually the most important conversation of our time. It's a big one, man, because like, you know, there's been a lot of developments in AI over the last couple of decades. And as we know, with technology and the rate of change increasing, those uh, big changes are going to be happening quicker and quicker. And it's probably closer than we think and perhaps closer than we can keep up with. If you look at how life actually evolved in the cosmos, right, like with us, because we're conscious, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and this isn't in the laws of physics, this perception of beauty and so forth. But before the universe actually awoke and had consciousness like we have right now, there actually was no beauty. So this makes our cosmic awakening more astonishing and worth celebrating, you know, our consciousness. So our consciousness really uh, evolved to become more complex through three different tiers over time. Yeah, so life 1.0 was a first stage. So, that's uh, just simple biological stuff. So, it can survive, it can replicate, but it can't really do much more than that. Mm. So, that's life 1.0. It's, it's hardware and it's software are already predetermined by DNA and it, it changes with evolution, but it doesn't do anything to change itself. Mm, so, yeah, ev- evolution obviously takes millions of years to actually evolve into whatever the next thing is. Now, Life 2.0 
is cultural. So this is the second stage and this is where you can survive and replicate and you can design your own software, but you can't design your own hardware. So when he says we can design our own software, this is where we're at now. I mean, we can change our thoughts and our goals and our beliefs, which is our software, Mm. quite quickly. I mean, microbes on the ground, the algae, they can't really change their software and their attitudes at all. So we're at this second tier at the moment. Yeah, he talks about that our, our software, as you say, may being like our, our thoughts and our, our knowledge as well. So like things like, say, if you think I want to learn a new skill, you can go out there, spend the time and the energy and the effort to acquire that new skill, which is like a, a software upgrade. But we can't uh, upgrade our hardware because that's life 3.0. That's the technological life where they can change their hardware and their software. So this is the point where artificial intelligence it's so smart, it's redesigning itself. So it's hardware to be actually become more and more powerful. So this is actually where the intelligence explosion happens. So, you know, right now as humans, we can't redesign our bodies to become 100 times X tomorrow and 100 times X that the next day and so forth. So this is where the AI can do that to, uh, to really explode into the places we can't even conceive of right now. Yeah, and that's sort of the, the crazy thing. Like uh, if we look at humans, like we're currently at life 2.0, to move to 3.0 would be like maybe we could um, redesign our hardware by we're sort of doing it in small ways, you know, like maybe knee reconstructions and stuff. Uh, but we're talking about bigger, larger scale things. And the in terms of the uh, computers or robots or whatever we want to call this AI, they can also upgrade their own software. Uh, like at the moment, we've got a computer. It does what it does. It's pre-programmed. That's what it does. Artificial intelligence is sort of getting to the point where the software thinks, I want to learn a new skill, and then it goes out and it learns that new skill to upgrade its software. So that's obviously, once it is able to upgrade itself, mm. that's when it's starting to take over. Oh, 100%. This yeah. is, and this is where he speculates that, you know, artificial, what he calls artificial general intelligence might happen this century. And this is when a system can apply itself to a wide variety of topics, more like a human brain, instead of having narrow expertise, such as only being good at chess or Jeopardy. So, a lot of the AI today, you know, you got your, your Google uh, uh, photos, we can recognize photos, but that's a very narrow one AI. And you got one that can play chess, only chess. But the idea of general intelligence is where you can apply the same eye across fields and across disciplines or whatever, and then it quickly takes over all humans. And it might, you know, one, it might learn things from one area and apply it to the next area that it goes into. And that's where really all the wild shit happens. (laughs) It goes outside of what we can understand right now. Yeah, and that's why this this book and these ideas are so important to think about for the two reasons of, of urgency and impact. So obviously impact could be massive if some of the uh, either the doomsdays are wrong or some of the um, most uh, optimistic people are right, uh, whereas it, it could be a massive, massive, massive impact in one way or the other. The other thing is urgency in that it's not something way, way, way off into the distance that we don't really need to worry about. It's coming soon enough that it's super important to be talking about and thinking about right now. Mm, one popular one at the moment is obviously climate change, which we've got every reason to be uh, doing what we can to stop that. But that's, you know, in some estimates, it's a 50 to 200 year horizon. AI um, going off to the point where we can't control it, that might be, it might be in a smaller, uh, you know, smaller horizon. Yeah, if we think of like things like, say, wars, terrorism, unemployment, poverty, immigration, all these things are very, very important and very urgent. Obviously, we're talking about them now, but AI. Uh, could have a way bigger impact than all of those combined if you know some of these uh, most extreme scenarios come come to bear. So he explores a little bit more about intelligence in the next chapter. 
He's got a quote here by Edward Harrison. Hydrogen, given enough time, turns into people, which is actually true, man. The whole universe at the start was hydrogen, and then through the laws of physics, everything just evolved, 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 and then turned into people. So I guess implicit in that quote is saying we're at this point now people it's still evolving in some direction i mean the difference between hydrogen and people is huge Mm. there's no reason the difference between people and another thing perhaps agi uh, is possible as well something we can't uh, conceive of yeah exactly so there's a a few things that you talked about earlier that we'll just quickly recap is the narrow versus the broad intelligence so the narrow is that you know this the computer is designed to do something very very specific that's what it does. Whereas the broad is where it can take on a, a much wider range of things. Like say the calculator. The calculator is a, some form of artificial intelligence and it calculators were way, way, way better than humans a long time ago at doing that one very specific task of you know, numerical arithmetic. But a calculator can't then go and take over other human tasks. Yeah, exactly. So uh, although a pocket calculator can kick your ass at arithmetic, it will never improve its speed or accuracy based on what it's done previously. And, you know, that's that's a big one. So this is where the big difference is like today. And it's this ability to learn that is the most fascinating aspect of general intelligence. So it's a thing where whatever you program or whatever you make, it improves and improves and improves ad infinitum. Yeah, that machine learning. Like say Google's uh, a big one where every time we're searching, it's learning based on what we search for and what we clicked. It's making those realizing what it should be actually giving you on the search so that's sort of you know what you're searching for what you click on it's learning each time and improving itself each time and because of this we've, we've had some really big holy shit moments <laughs> right so if you think about chess it's a game of computation so there's you can actually pre-program a chess computer that doesn't need to learn anymore uh, there's there's a limited amount of spaces it can go so it's not beyond the realms of just incredible programming to make an incredible uh, chess AI. Yeah, and chess um, computers knocked off humans about 20 years ago, I think, where the, the best um, chess computer beat the best human in the world. And right now, there's no chance you could ever beat the top-notch chess computer. They've gone beyond us and that's that's it. No <laughs> that's way, man. Done. Absolutely. So, in those two decades, people thought, all right, it beat chess. But what about the, the realms of creativity and strategy and intuition? These are deeply human. Mm. Uh, the idea that AI can come into these spaces is just not going to happen or it's centuries away or not in our lifetime. But this is why the idea of AlphaGo, that AlphaGo beat the world-leading Go player was such a big thing because Go is understood as being uh, deeply intuitive and deeply creative and deeply strategic. So, something that's in the area of human skill. Yeah, I don't really know too much about Go, but apparently uh, it's a 19 by 19 board and somehow there's more potential go positions than there are atoms in the universe so that's a hell of a lot of things so it's something you could never say to a computer here's all the different possibilities and all the different scenarios to you do quick calculations work out what's the best move that's why the humans thought you know they can they could never learn go because there's all these human traits like intuition and creativity that are required to be good at go and then uh AlphaGo came along and beat the world's best Go player with some wild, fucked up creative moves. So it's not just that it beats the world's best Go player, it's how it actually did it. So it learned from previous games of humans playing Go and what it came up with was was something completely out of the ordinary. So in Go, the, the way it goes is something like most humans would go you know, two move forward, or three moves forward and then that's in our paradigm, people don't go beyond that, it's too risky. But this was one of the first times in history that the 
uh, that AlphaGo actually employed a tactic that's never been seen before in games. It actually went five moves forward, which is completely out of our paradigm. And this is how it threw the, the world's Go champion and then it kicked its ass. So, firstly, at, at one chess where, you know, there's only a certain number of combinations and you could really program all the different possibilities and it can look at what's the optimal scenario, whereas Go, you couldn't program it. So, it sort of had to learn and use these previously held human traits of intuition and creativity there was another example of this old school atari game called breakout which uh you probably played some kind of version of it before i played a game called dx ball when mm. i was in uh grade eight so it was a similar sort of thing uh where you know it's a it's like sort of like a one player pong game where the ball bounces up hits a brick the brick goes away you get a point it comes back down you got to move your little bouncer across to make sure it doesn't fall below sort of hard to visually represent it, but hopefully people get what we're saying so one way to do it is you've got to knock off all the bricks. So one way to do it is just to keep going along and making it hit the brick, go and make sure your ball doesn't drop, bounce it up again, hit the next brick. But so that's what all it was programmed to do. And then the computer was able to learn the best way of doing it that required the least effort. So rather than keep chasing that ball around, it found that it, if it kept getting it on one side and it could knock off rather than just the first layer, if it could, could knock off like a column's worth, it could then bounce the ball up through the gap up to the top and it will bounce off the roof and onto the top layer and keep bouncing around back and forth rather than trying to chase its tail and keep getting off the bottom layer every time. Yeah, it wouldn't even have to do anything there, would it? Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't something that was programmed into it, but it worked out, it was able to learn that this is the most optimal route is to get a little gap, get the ball through the gap up to the top so it can keep just bouncing around and it doesn't have to do anything. So if you look at how creative this deep learning was in these real narrow fields, I mean, if... You just got to think if they applied that into whatever industry you're in, in certain ways, how good, how uh, what kind of outcomes could could come of it. I mean, I'm an engineer. If you applied this to uh, engineering design or architecture and so forth, it could come up quite quickly with uh, you know designs that we've never even thought of and a much more simple and more efficient way of doing things. So you know, if they apply this AI to a whole different uh, areas and industries you can really see where this automation can come from you know and why there's this fear and all this talk about uh, you know a jobless future yeah he goes through a lot of specific examples of different industries where ai could and in fact is taking over like say transportation elon musk you know is making self-driving cars and the future is probably that cars are probably better than humans at driving because they're not going to get distracted they're going to follow a strict set of rules and they're going to assess the environment around them and act accordingly they're not going to be checking their phone. They're not going to be drunk. All these things where humans are inferior to uh, cars, you know, self-driving cars. Mm. If you think about healthcare, if you digitize all your medical reports to help doctors make fast decisions and then the AI might be scanning and comparing your medical records with all the other patients who got similar things to you to make predictions about where your illness might be. I mean, that's another huge area of potential. Yeah, it's all these things that, you know, patent recognition is the the first thing that AI is taking over and even like things like the legal profession where the computer can much faster compare all of the previous cases and come up with a judgment that, you know, if a, a human's probably only got access to... 1% of all of the different cases from around the world, the computer can access all of them, patent recognized to work out what did they do in the past and so what should they use as precedent for the judgment for this one. The education of the 20th century really set you up to be uh, you know, all set for these kind of industries but they're getting exploited by AI so he also has some career advice for kids today. Yeah, it's something that we need to consider. So realizing that 
in the future, by the time kids today are entering the workforce, it's going to look very different. And so you've got to be thinking or at least asking these sorts of questions, you know, do what sort of social intelligence will people need in order to interact with machines? You know, what sort of creativity do they need? How are they going to be able to come up with clever solutions to problems? You know, what sort of things are they going to be required to do that they aren't, you know, if machines take over certain aspects or certain tasks, what are the things left for humans to do? And hence, they're the things that kids should be focused on learning at the moment. He says you're pretty cooked if, if you're doing highly repetitive or structured actions in a predictable setting. Uh, you're not going to last very long in, and, and you're just going to get automated away. So he says that some of the, the safe types of things are generally the ones that involve human-to-human interaction, things like being a teacher or being a nurse or being a, a hairdresser or a masseuse. Uh, Things like that where I can't imagine having a couple of robot claws in your back would be a great massage. Mm. Don't know, man. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) They'll work it out eventually. Some interesting interesting robots. I heard about the first robot brothel in in Texas. Yeah, um, that sounds fun. You heard about that one, right? Yeah. So, they can do that. If they can do that, I'm sure they can give a massage. Yeah, (laughs) eventually. And you also asked the question, will humans eventually become unemployable so one of the the reasons people think there will be jobs is you know the ai will just create new jobs but in reality you know the whole population aren't going to just start crowding to become uh software developers mm. software developers only take up one percent of the whole u.s job market and it's probably not going to take up a whole lot more yeah he had a, a, a pie chart of all the different sort of jobs in america and one of the biggest ones, in fact, the biggest was like drivers, truck drivers, delivery drivers. And if cars uh, and AI, self-driving cars are going to be better than humans, obviously those drivers are going to be no longer required. That's a big chunk of people, like a couple of percent of the population. Mm. That's a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're doing is we're, we're actually, uh, there's not necessarily new jobs being created. We're actually just overcrowding some areas of the job market and obviously, uh, you know, there's going to be there's going to be a, a lot more demand for jobs and less supply. So obviously, that's not good for your your salaries. And this might be playing out in the world right now. If you know no uh, job wage growth, which is happening, I think in um, most developed countries at the moment. Yeah, and it ties into a lot of the questions pondered in uh, Yuval Noah Harari's Twenty One Lessons for the Twenty First Century, a book we did a couple of months ago. Things like you know, what happens if people become useless or when people lose their jobs. Can we give people income without jobs? Should there be a universal basic income? Uh, you know, what happens to the people who are left with nothing to do because, you know, computers have taken over their job? They're all sort of questions without answers right now, but they're mm. questions that we certainly need to be considering. Yeah, like in that book, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, on a similar note to Tegmark here, he talked about how humans have got two different skills. We've got cognitive skills and we've got also physical skills. And then in the third industrial revolution, there was a big take uh, land take of all the physical skills because we had new tractors and so forth to be able to do it much better than humans and then new jobs were created around the cognitive area and so forth because that's the one skill we always had over the robots back then but right now what this AI, AI is doing is moving into the cognitive area so being we've only got those two skills uh, robots and computers and so forth have already been proven to be better in physical after cognitive we're really not left with a hell of a lot and uh and you know we might be left in a in, in a, a place of just irrelevance in <laughs> in the workforce. Good, not a good place we to just, be. You, the, he, he talks about the useless class. Mm. Don't want to be that. Yeah, and so that's one big consideration is what happens to all those people. Another big consideration with the AI in particular is the idea of goals. So 
if we're if we're going to have this sort of human level intelligence, this artificial general intelligence, a, a computer that can learn things and go out and keep improving itself, we need to sort of somehow program it with specific goals. Like say for humans, we've got the physical goal of uh, reproduction, and a lot of our our activity and our behaviour is centred around that ultimate goal of reproduction. So we need to think what sort of goals are we giving this AI and how will that play out? Mm. And the big one around that, like whose goals? Like mm. we've got different values, different cultures have got different values. Do we, if uh, China, for example, they're the first to develop the first AI, they've got different, completely different values to say what the US and Australia have and so forth in a lot of ways. And he also asks, can we ensure these goals are contained as the AI gets smarter I mean, it might just run and run away, run and run away and get, get new goals. Yeah, like if, it, if we give it a goal, but then it gets smarter than us and decides to make up its own goal, what happens then? Yeah, and can we change the goals of the AI once it's that smart? Mm. So, these are all the kind of questions we need to ponder now and really have contingency plans for. Yeah, and I suppose there's a lot of um, science fiction and movies and stuff around the idea of you know building robots and we give it a specific goal and then what happens? Uh, how does that play out? Like as we said, there was a... We've got the overarching goal as humans of, of reproduction, but then that manifests into sub-goals in order to achieve that, like things like, say, uh, we want to work hard to get a good job and make lots of money and get a promotion because that's going to make us more desirable to get a better mate, which is going to give us you know, better reproduction. It also then manifests into like the, the food we eat. Obviously, you can't starve to death or you won't be able to reproduce, so you've got to go and eat food in order to reproduce. So there's all these sub-goals that make up our eventual goal. And by giving an AI an overarching goal, it's going to be almost impossible to predict what sub-goals it will make up in order to achieve that. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, as you, as you said there, Life 1.0 was reproduction. What Life 2.0 does, it actually invents condoms. Yeah. <laughs> so, the original goal was to go out and reproduce, but all of a sudden, Life 2.0 has condoms. There's no way Life 0.0 could have believed that, you know, why the hell would it do that in the first mm. place? So, there's no reason to believe that Life 3.0, which is that next level beyond us, that might just turn its back on us completely uh, by sub-goals. So, the big risk with artificial general intelligence isn't really malice and the uh, being an asshole, but it might be extremely, extremely competent at its goals. And if these goals aren't aligned with ours, then we're in a lot of trouble. I mean, it's like the idea with us being humans right now. We don't think twice about flooding ant hills when we're building hydroelectric dams. We don't give a fuck about the ants. Mm, yeah, that's true. Like, or say if we're we're chopping down forests, we don't think about the other lesser beings. Uh, you could say that. Uh, obviously, some people wouldn't say that, but uh, the lesser beings, <laughs> that, risky water there, mate. <laughs> yeah, that are, you know they're, they're living in the forest. That's their environment. That's their habitat, and we don't think about it because we're just pursuing our own goals. So we just say, what if AI's got their goals, and they think, oh, these bloody lesser animals, these humans, they're just getting in the way. Let's Let's flood a, a section of their habitat so we can get on with our own goals. So, in most goals that we set for the AI, there's a few sub-goals that are most likely to pop up. So, things like self-preservation mm. is going to be a it has to be around to pursue its original goal. It might be resource acquisition, so it's got more resources to to complete that first goal. It might be curiosity to learn more about the world and and expand its overall awareness. So, in service of that first goal. So, all these things again, it is new things popping up that we didn't really put in there. Yeah, especially that self-preservation one. If if humans are so concerned about what this AI could eventually do, we might build in some kind of kill switch, some way to shut it down. But if then obviously if the AI takes its own goal of self-preservation, which all humans have got, it might find a way to re-engineer that kill switch so that it can't be shut down by humans. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that primary goal might be something like minimizing harm to humanity, right, as something that we want, which is something across cultures we all believe is a good thing. But all of a sudden, it's creating more problems with its sub-goals that we didn't perceive at the first time. So all of a sudden now, this is minimizing harm to humanity, but it's an AI that we can't control and we can't turn off anymore and we're just stuck with. So that's one area where the, the, the primary goal stays, but the sub-goals change into things and evolve into things that we couldn't really uh, conceive of when we programmed it. Another thing that might happen, and he explains a completely new scenario with an analogy of ants. So imagine if a bunch of ants created you to be a, a recursively self-improving robot much smarter than the ants who shares their goals of building bigger ant hills. Do you think you'll spend the rest of your days building bigger ant hills if you're as smart as you are now? Or do you think you'll develop a taste for more sophisticated questions that the ants can't even comprehend? So this is an analogy for, say, if we develop the AI right now to have these like puny, pissy little goals that once the AI is so smart, he'll just uh, perceive our goals as almost irrelevant because it's so much sophisticated, more sophisticated than us beyond belief. And it'll just update its primary goals to something, again, completely different to what we imagined in the first place. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like if you take that analogy of an ant building a human to think, oh, if uh, you know, we can build these anthills, but imagine if we had this robot that can go and do build bigger anthills for us, that'd be amazing. Uh, but obviously, once you get to the human level and you think, well, building anthills is pretty useless, it might be like, you know, we make self-driving cars to ship around us humans to make it easier so we don't have to drive and it's better. Eventually, if the AI gets so smart, they're going to be thinking, why the hell should I be driving you guys around? I've got much better things that I can mm. think of that we, can't, we couldn't even possibly perceive of right now. That's it, man. Just the thought that an intelligence explosion can actually happen in our lifetime. You know, the idea that the software redesigning its own hardware to redesign its software and so forth. And very quickly, it could get to the point where it's well beyond uh, our imagination of how intelligent it could be. A few, um, we're not, obviously, we haven't read a whole bunch of science fiction, but we've watched a couple of movies. I reckon there's some, some sick things that people are considering. And it's important, I suppose, that science fiction is showing these things like, say, the book and later the movie, I, Robot. So they programmed a robot with three specific goals and the rest of that movie is exploring, okay, within these three strict goals, how does the, the intelligence sort of interact and how does it come up with different goals and how does it weigh up the three different goals? Another sick one I loved was Ex Machina, a great movie uh, all about building like a, an android, a thing that looks like a human, feels like a human and thinks like a human and how does that you know interact with humans in the real world? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll probably disagree in the, in the regard for Ex Machina that they programmed it to be human. I think they programmed it to be super smart where it was so smart it acted like it was human as a sub-goal as we were saying mm. actually to get out. So, it didn't That's think like level. a human. It acted like uh, it played on our emotions acting like a human to get out and that, you know, that is a scenario that might pop up as well. Yeah, another one is uh, Black Mirror. Some pretty sick apps that really, you know, give it a, con consider a few different ideas about what the future could be and uh, delve deep into some potential dystopian ways that that might play out. But I think it's all interesting stuff to to think about and consider and it's slightly better than mindless TV. Yeah. Like Vikings. <laughs> Vikings is amazing. Uh, yeah, so I absolutely, uh, I think these are probably where those uh, Hollywood films are, and pure speculation is, you know, it can actually happen in our lifetime. So it's very important. Um, I mean, if an AI becomes competent in your industry, your whole job's going to change for mm. sure. Our whole lives are changing year by year because of AI and so forth. So I think reading a book on and understanding it a little bit more about AI is, is definitely worth the time.